Welcome to another episode of Bonnie's by Brent. I'm your host, Brent Raska. On today's episode, we have Kat Smilas. In this episode of Bodies by Brent, we dive into the world of intimacy therapy with Kat. She has worked around the country as an occupational therapist in hospitals, and before transitioning into her role as an intimacy therapist, with her work in hospitals, she noticed that before major health accidents, that patients would always explain how they were stressed, unhappy, or lonely. Her work with intimacy can help heal these deep-rooted issues. What we learned from Kat during this episode, the curiosity is the key to a conscious relationship. The importance of meeting your partner's emotional needs, how the nervous system and the body's alarm system is to keep you safe, how the lack of awareness can create generational trauma, how a lack of satisfaction in your relationship can create resentment, and so much more. This is a fun episode. If you're in a relationship or thinking about getting in a relationship, whether short or long-term, this episode is for you. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Support the podcast by like, following, and leaving a review. I appreciate it so much. Let's get into it. Dad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Teach us everything you know about having an amazing relationship. But first, tell me, how did you get into coaching people, helping people? Yeah, so I am a therapist and I have been in Western medicine for five years, but I have been in the hospital system since I've been like 16. And what I've learned throughout all of my experience is that people get like really, really sick. And my question was always, why are they getting so sick? Were you a nurse or what were you? A therapist. Are you a therapist? Yes. Yeah, so in the hospital. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. So I've been around for a long time and then I was a, a, ther or a, a traveling therapist right out of grad school. Cool. And I lived in Arizona, Oregon, Nevada, Tennessee, Illinois, Indiana, and now Texas. Dope. And the what was common in all of these areas was like no one was really ever getting healthy. Like what were some of the what's an example of a person you would see mm, the symptoms and then you trying to work with them? Oh, yeah. So stroke, heart attack. Oh, like I was working in physical medicine and rehab. So people post op people with. Yeah, like I said, stroke, heart attack, spinal cord injury, brain injury. And the people who are coming in for stroke mm. um, or heart conditions, I was seeing them in their most intimate, in the most intimate setting. Like I'm an occupational therapist by trade, which mm. when I say occupational therapist, immediately most people think, oh, that's a job therapist. I don't need that. So you stop listening. Um, and actually an occupational therapist has the capacity to treat sex, intimacy, which is what we'll talk about later, um, spirituality, um, anything that's meaningful in your life, an occupational therapist is actually qualified. To I didn't know that because I had an occupational therapist for dementia and I, I just, that. I just thought that would meant you help them do physical things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, because <laughs> of the constraints of what hospital systems need, OTs for, mm. they don't really get to expand into those areas of the things that I just mentioned. But you still study all of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like um, interfamily dynamics, psychodynamic frame of reference. I know that doesn't really mean much to you, but it's basically the study of how different people affect uh, people, environment, emotions, all of these different factors, the biopsychosocial model. Mm affect each other mm -hmm. so we study that in our profession and then 
if you graduate and you just go to a hospital and you're like comfortable in that sort of repetition monotony of the job, like that's totally fine. But I was always like, there has to be more and I'm not living up to my true potential. So it was a good parallel of seeing my own growth and the limitations of my profession. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't want to be here. Well, so you had someone like with a stroke or a heart attack and you wouldn't see them get better. So what would you try to do when you mean not get better? They just just stayed unhealthy or what did, what did you mean? So we would have a lot of repeat offenders that would come into the hospital. Got and it. I had them in their most intimate setting. Like they were naked on the toilet or in the shower. Like I was doing the therapy in the most intimate and vulnerable session Mm. um i was responsible for talking to them and oftentimes like people sitting on the toilet would be telling me about how i would ask them how are you doing how are you feeling about your experience you had this like massive life change how are you doing and they would break down and cry they're like you're the first person that asked me how i'm doing wow you're the first person that asked me if i'm okay after that huge life event and then I was like, well, what was happening before that big life event? And more times than not, they'd say I was extremely stressed. I was extremely unhappy. I was I have a terrible relationship with my spouse. I'm divorced. I live alone. I'm lonely. It's like all these contributing factors that weren't being addressed hmm. are causing these significant life events like a stroke. And then the people that we would see, we'd get them to a certain point where they would reach a ceiling of independence or like, cool, they can go home with assistance or cool, they can go home independently. And then sometimes they would, most of them would like come back for something else in the time that I was working at the hospital. And I was like, why is this happening? Why are we not helping people further by healing? And true healing is internal work. So through my own questioning and then my realization of my own shit coming up, like, Oh, relationship issues. I'm a therapist and I can't fix myself. So learning all the things that were not taught in traditional Western medicine was like my own exploration. And then allowed me to expand into a profession that I no longer feels like fits me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because everyone that I know that's an occupational therapist has such a small container of what they practice in. And it's just like that limitation of your own awareness So I went on my own journey and I am obsessed with learning. So for the past three years, I've like taken really extensive courses and it led me to really want to work in the family dynamic. So specifically with the parents and then more specifically with each individual parent, because there's this ripple effect that happens when you are in a family dynamic and you're Parents are either aware or unaware, and they're kind of just like perpetuating their own childhood wounding. Mm-hmm. And then that just perpetuates into their kids. And then you create generational trauma because of the lack of the awareness in the parents. So if I, my sort of approach was like, do I talk about mental health in parents and in, you know, couples or relationships, or do I talk about intimacy? And intimacy seemed more of like a, not as um, triggering word to use instead of saying, how's your mental health in your relationship? People are like, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, well, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't look at me. Don't don't look at any of my wounding. Yeah, so if I talk about, oh, your ability to connect, to connect deeper with your partner or spouse or to have sex, better sex and um, intimacy, deeper connection in that sort of avenue, people are like, oh, I'll pay attention. Yeah. And then you kind of slip in like, what are you actually going through that's keeping you from being able to connect deeper with your spouse? It's a Trojan horse. 
Yeah, <laughs> literally. So it's not a sponsored uh, ad. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> How important is it for people to have sex in a relationship or good sex in a relationship to maintain a healthy relationship? Oh, I mean, I think that a reflection of the health and satisfaction of the sexual relationship is so uh, reflective of the overall health of the relationship. Why do you think so? Oh, because if a woman is not satisfied, this is generally what happens. It's like women pretend to be satisfied. Then they resent their partner and their partner's like, wait, but I thought everything was going well. And one partner's not satisfied. Then they resent their partner and they're like, it's just this chaos, this perpetuating cycle of chaos because maybe they're pretending or maybe they just do something out of obligation rather than wanting to do that and actually desiring their partner still and it's reflective of a lot of the deeper wounding or the deeper conflict that they just didn't address and they haven't addressed and now it's just gone so long that they're like i don't know what to do let's just separate okay so they probably get used to not asking for what they need right it just like but it can begin in the bedroom Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of a lot of your shit comes up and whether or not you you feel comfortable to talk to your partner about what you're experiencing, communicating. A lot of people don't freaking know how to communicate and they don't know how to communicate their internal experience because they don't understand their internal experience. So It sounds like there's a lot of pieces, right? You got to figure out your internal experience. You got to figure out what potential wounding or I don't know things you're projecting oh, from yeah. your family and then you gotta if you're beginning or in a long-term relationship how do I communicate and those are two different ways if you're beginning or in a long term mm -hmm. there's a lot of things to unpack yes yeah it's like the foundation is not strong from the very beginning so you're just seeing this like deck of cards start to fall when you experience long-term issues in a relationship that you're like Therapy's not helping. I don't know what to do. It's, well, because it wasn't set on a solid foundation. It sounds like there could be a lot of situations where there is not much you can do if it goes on too long. Right. It's like mold overgrowth. It's like, it's fucked. Mm. We just got to burn this down. Yeah. But if it's someone listening is in a long-term relationship and they want to communicate and they're like, oh shit, this is me. I'm not, I'm not telling my partner. And I imagine it's got to be Maybe you feel guilt or shame because you're like, shit, I should have been telling this person. Like, where does somebody begin? Mm. Um, yeah, well, just to also reiterate the indifference. When you get to the point where you don't care anymore, it's really hard to go back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think first noticing that it's an issue and you want to change and saying to your partner like, hey, are you happy? Asking that question regularly <laughs> or maybe like as your anniversary question, you say, hey, are you still happy with me? And then if the answer is no, and you can honestly say that, it's like, okay, let's both take responsibility for moving forward. But then that opens up a whole can of worms of like, where do you go? Where do you start? And I feel like the strategies that I use with people really help to recreate that foundation in a safe way, which is why I use intimacy versus I'm a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. It's like actually intimacy is more than anything feeling understood. Yeah. And then understanding yourself, understanding in a relationship goes back to understanding yourself. So it all just like unravels to you as an individual. And so in order to communicate, you probably need to understand what's going on in your internal processes. Yeah. 
what do you do for people or how do you teach them to start to even begin to become aware? Because I imagine people could probably come to you and don't even realize that they're not telling their partner and all this. They just don't feel good or feel happy. Mm -hmm. Like, where do you begin with somebody who just comes to you and says, I just have a problem? Do you begin with the internal process or what do you do? A lot of education. And I usually start with the nervous system because your nervous system, I went to med school and they did not cover it in the way that I That's believe. so crazy. It's actually mind blowing. We dissected a body and we saw the nerves and all we learned about it was like, oh, the nerve gets a stimulus and it sends an impulse to the brain and it's processed and like, that's it. I feel like a lot of me training clients is helping them figure out how to regulate their nervous system. Yeah. You have people that are just so in fight or flight all the time mm -hmm. or they're so stressed out. Mm -hmm. That's why they can't lose any weight, right? Because they're overeating or whatever. It's like teaching people how to get in that parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. And I know on your TikTok, you talk a lot about, you know, people get triggered probably from their childhood wounds mm -hmm. and that hits their, I mean, I've, I've felt it when I've been in relationships, you get that trigger and then you, if you're not mindful, you can respond in a way that can perpetuate probably more negative communication or negative experiences in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then your spouse becomes a trigger for your sympathetic nervous system. And when you're in that state, you physiologically can't be ready to have sex and intimacy because you're so narrow-minded and focused on the threat, which is your partner. <laughs> wow. So you teach a lot of people about regulating the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So where do you begin with that? The nervous system is your body's internal alarm system, and it's always on. And its purpose, its job is to keep you safe and alive. So it's like your best friend. It's like the most intelligent alarm system in the whole world. Hmm. And it's to protect you. And so when you do feel threatened, whatever the threat is, you have this activation of your system. So when I ask them, like, when's the last time you were stressed and what was happening in your physical body? And most people really can't answer that. So it just shows you how out of touch people are with their own body, <laughs> their own sensation and their own emotional experience. So then you have to like really knock it down to like a kindergarten level and talk about what physical symptom are you feeling? Oh, your heart rate starts to race. Your heart starts to race. Your breath rate starts to increase. You start to hyperventilate. Mm. You start to become very sensitive to stimuli. You might notice you're really super tense and that's in preparation for fighting or running away from your the threat. And then, you know, talking about how the threat sort of like gives you tunnel vision. So now you're just focused on one particular part of that situation mm -hmm. and then being able to relate it to, do you remember the last time that your spouse did something that absolutely made you so angry? What were you thinking about in the, that moment? You were thinking about exactly what they did that made you angry. You can't think about all the other great things that they did for you that day or how they show up for you regularly or how much you love them because you're just so pissed off about that one thing that they did. And then you start to, because of the way that you're wired, you start, it, that is a significant emotional event, which gets like time stamped in your brain. And so the next time they do that, maybe it's as simple as leaving their toothbrush out and it's dirty. <laughs> they the next time they see that they're even more mad than the first time it happened because they remember that significant emotional event they know the outcome of whatever that situation was mm. and it just like keeps the cycle going of being like instead of telling you hey 
this really bothered me and doing using effective communication to come up with more of a solution towards of this problem. Perfect two questions. When you're in that moment, how do you deregulate or de disarm your mm -hmm. nervous system from being in that? And then when you do notice these things, once you've disarmed your nervous system, how do you effectively communicate things that bring up emotions that bother you? Mm -hmm. um, so something I use with people is called the projection process. So first of all, acknowledging that it's making you upset and then witnessing you have all you you doing that thing that same thing so maybe it's not that you are careless with your toothbrush but maybe it's that you're you have been careless in the past so saying okay he's showing me that he's careless i also remember a time when i've been careless too and what was happening during that time i was probably thinking about something else i was probably stressed so in using that reflection that projection reflection sort of exercise in real time, I'm able to say, oh, he's just showing me something that I don't really like about myself. I can take a deep breath and be like, I've been careless too. And even just saying that, my nervous system is like, okay, he's not hes not the, the lion that's running into the room that's going to like cause me, my life to be in danger. So I'm like self-talk, using self-talk to calm myself down mm -hmm. to remember that I've also been careless in the past using it as an opportunity to witness something that I need to work on in the future and then being able to say, listen, I love you so much. <laughs> it really bothers me when you leave your toothbrush out because then I have to clean it up. And going forward, if you could just remember that, it would mean a lot to me. Like you're sandwiching. It's a sandwich uh, exercise. You lead in with something great, put something that's a little bit of a criticism or something that you want to change mm -hmm. and then like lead out with something positive. It just... That's how effective communication works. <laughs> Got it. Make a request. Yeah. I love that. And so what are other ways you teach people to help regulate their nervous system? Mm. Um, so I am an NLP certified practitioner. And a lot of it is relearning the association of emotionally charged emotions. So I take them through different um, emotional experiences and kind of hard to explain without actually like doing it with you but mm. it changes the way it's called tapping the map it's like a timeline therapy sort of intervention and it changes the um what is that what do I want to say it changes the the intensity of the emotion that you carry so let's say for instance anger there's probably a time where in your past or even in your in your lineage because this is a lot of time where um, generational trauma kind of comes into play this behavior of anger has just been passed down so maybe it started when your grandpa experienced something that caused him to say this experience these emotions all of this together means i'm angry and this is how i respond hmm. and then throughout his life he responds in that way then he shows your dad this is anger, this is how I respond, and this is what I do to cope with it. And then it gets passed to you and you experience this. So this intervention kind of takes you back um, to the first experience of anger. And it could be a memory that you have too. Maybe you were like three years old and your needs weren't being met and people were ignoring you. And then you got so mad that that significant emotional event was time stamped in your brain. And now you associate those feelings in your body with anger. And then in consecutive events where you feel those body sensations, because we're super intelligent beings, 
that's how we act. So it's kind of taking people back to the to the original event, hmm. saying that it doesn't have to just be anger that you're mad at. Um, it could also mean that you are being misunderstood. It can mean that you're lonely. So there's a lot of intelligence that lives within anger um, that helps people to make more informed choices when they do feel that sensation moving forward after the intervention. That's one way of regulating because you're like, oh, I remember anger. Anger lives in my back. When I start to feel that sensation of anger, it's not that I'm being threatened. Mm -hmm. It's maybe I'm being misunderstood. So it gives you enough information for you to make an informed choice moving forward. Very interesting. So not getting involved too much in the, the overwhelming sensations, trying to take the information in and what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Is there tools, other tools, one other tool you like people to use when they're on their own? Yeah, to regulate your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the classic witness that you're having. Actually, you know what? I love to give this people this analogy to people. So I say whenever you're activated, that's your animal body. You can picture an animal in the jungle like activated and ready to kill a prey or run or fight or flee. You know what's happening in that in its in its body, mm -hmm. right? And then giving people the opportunity to say if you were an animal, what would you be? What would you be? What would I be? I'd be a tiger. <laughs> You'd be a tiger, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're activated and now your your tiger body is like coming out. Got and you're it. like, oh, I remember him. He's like real angry. He's probably hungry. I don't know. But you are making the association of when I'm activated, this is my animal body. Then you can check in. Am I in danger right now? Is this a f real threat? And then through that sort of realization, you can say, okay, no self-talk again we're not in immediate th like we're not an immediate threat our survival is not being threatened can we can we come back down can we take a deep breath but just that awareness of like oh animal animal bodies being activated sometimes will give people enough of a pause yeah. to make a, a more of a response versus a reaction I love that. I'm going to use that all the time now. Like, yeah. well, I want to tear something up or I chill out. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you really, you should still take that energy when you do want to tear something up and go put it towards something productive, like a workout, like an intense workout where you're still moving that energy and you allow it to be released versus saying, mm -hmm. oh, okay, my animal body's activated. I have to eat that feeling. We don't want that. Yeah. I love that. I want to go back to sex <clears throat> because it's so important other than you know, having the two parties, people in a relationship express that they are missing the mark with each other. What other ways do you help people have better sex and better intimacy? Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, sex in itself is like the end result of better intimacy. Mm -hmm. Anyone can figure out how to have sex, I believe. But the bigger part is like the foreplay of intimacy that comes before all of that. So, First, understanding your animal body. Oh, okay. So now we have two people who, mine's a cheetah. Mm -hmm. So noticing when she's in her animalistic sort of like state, it gives you a more primal feeling of like what needs need to be met in order for there to be deeper connection. And what do you mean? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm trying to picture myself if I'm in a relationship and I'm I, I'm a tiger and then the person's a cheetah and I'm trying to be like, hey, 
what are what are what is the cheetah's needs right now? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking from a me being a tiger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, is it meeting the needs in a sexual way, or, or that's? I'm like I'm gonna. Lie, I'm <laughs> that, that's that's actually like <laughs> role play. We're not talking about role play. We're talking about. Like, explain what that. you mean. What I yes, what I mean is that initially understanding each person's nervous system and how they're reacting like if i'm in a state of activation don't approach me about sex yeah 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 yeah. don't like you could tell i'm angry i don't want anything to do with that so instead you're going to change your approach i believe the the animal like um it's called pacing so you can use that strategy to like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna come in i'm gonna provide support I'm going to provide comfort as needed, but then I'm going to give her space. So you can you can use sort of animal behavior to reflect a lot of what's happening in our sort of um, modern jungle. Um, that's the work that I do with people a lot. It's like just understanding that we are animals mm-hmm. and we're kind of dumb animals. We, we think we're smart, but really there's a lot of parallels that we can make with with just being primal animals. So back to the activation, mm-hmm. knowing that we're both animals and knowing that I'm activated because I'm stressed out about work, stressed out about coming home to a messy house, having to make dinner, finances, relationships, uh, traffic was terrible. All of these things don't really put me in the place to want to engage in that. So instead of you being taking it personally and being like, what did I do? You can change your approach and ask, how can I support you? How is your day? Is there something that you need from me that will make you feel more relaxed? Mm. And then learning that sort of behavior from your partner, having that open communication will help you then to anticipate maybe some more things that you can do in the future to help her just feel safer coming home to, you know, something that should feel like your your solace or your resting place instead of coming home to another battlefield. And taking it personal, being like, oh, she's just not in the mood again. She never she's always mad at me mm-hmm. right and when you get into that headspace it's like the most lonely place to be because you don't even understand no i i feel like as a guy that's very helpful to think of it in those terms because it almost kind of becomes a game you're like okay cool how do i get her back into feeling really good about everything mm-hmm. yeah it's very positive focused outcome instead yeah. of just being like oh she doesn't like me and i could see how two people could start to just yeah come to a place of indifference where like oh they don't care they don't care they don't care they don't care and then they just completely ignore each other to the point where now it's like there's no even emotional response it's just everything's dead and i love that you did that with your hands because that's literally what happens in a relationship when you know that inside you are both just little kids trying to figure out what the fuck we're doing here and how to navigate the complexity of the human experience and you're like craving connection but the more that you try to figure out what's happening, the more you try to connect and the other person doesn't that you're just constantly in this snake dance of trying to seek connection while the other person's like, this is awful. And so it's it's interesting that, like I said, you did that because that happens. That's what f- visually happens in relationships when you know that they just want connection. And you basically help people just kind of work closer to closer together. Yeah. What are other intimacy you know, I know you have a lot of intimacy props, prompts on TikTok that are awesome. What are some prompts that people can, you know, just apply listening to this now to deepen their intimacy with their partner? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I support you today? 
what is one <clears throat> what is one thing that you're going through that I don't see? Oh, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And to expand on that one specifically, like the the threats that we typically deal with in modern society aren't physical threats. They're psychological threats. So they're all happening in your mind and no one can help you because they can't see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience where sometimes I'm upset about something or frustrated and I'm all whirled up in my head about, you know, a person I'm dating. And then I think a better way to approach this is let's just see what's going on inside of them. Mm. And a lot of times when I actually ask, I realize, oh, this explains a lot of the things I was feeling and I was just tripping. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had that happen. Yeah. Many, many times. Mm-hmm. So do you have an example of a, a couple that was very far apart from each other and you could slowly work them back to the point where they are happy. Um, Yes. So I, one of my clients right now, he is in, he's been married for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And they're just basically mirroring their own shit onto each other. And so it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating to be on my end to just be like, do you see that this is also something that you do? You're doing this too. You're doing this too. She's just reflecting what you're doing. But they... That's funny. I got an email from him recently. How how how, often, how common do you think people do that with each other in relationships? Oh. Just reflect their own shit and get pissed off about it? Oh, all the time. And it's not just <laughs> romantic yeah. relationships. Yeah. It's like friendships, anything. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You could always summarize somebody's behavior. It's not the actual like details of what they're doing. If you summarize the behavior, you can always see a reflection because you wouldn't be able to acknowledge or witness something in someone else that is making you mad if you've not done that. <laughs> That's the hard truth. Like, yeah. how else would you know that it's a thing? Very true. Yeah. Okay. So he, my approach with him was just to basically help, like I said, explain the nervous system, explain how that interferes with the relationship and how you're just basically both activated and activating each other when really it's just she's not the threat she's not the person that you should be worried about it's taking responsibility for yourself understanding what sort of stuff is coming up and then being honest and being able to communicate about that and also like having fun going to plan prioritizing connection every day or prioritizing, go do one thing together that's just fun and it's playful and it doesn't have to have a structure. Go do something. And that's like really hard for people. Yeah, I think also I see it a lot in the older generation. I don't know if you see it in your parents, but my parents and just friends' parents and they just never, they don't have fun with each other. Um, I like that tip. That's, yeah. that's, that's a super helpful tip. Yeah. Um, fucking mind blanked um wait i had to finish about the okay keep going. literally finish because that's what <laughs> I, he emailed me and was like i would not ever tell anybody this but i just wanted to let you know that after a year of a dry spell like me and my wife had sex <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah he's like we had a great night we went out and we danced and like we haven't done that in forever what a simple thing to go do I know. to change a year yeah of Imagine, not being no. intimate that's incredible yeah. Do you notice differences in men versus women when it comes to, I don't know, challenges or problems or relationship stuff? Mm, I think I, that's a good question because I think 
a big part of women is not being honest about what they're actually liking and disliking. And that goes back to having to oblige by being a good girl and like not speaking up and just doing what you're told and serving a man. Being agreeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say men's biggest pitfalls are in relationships? Not understanding the emotional side of a woman. Um, and when you and, say that, what do you mean? Yeah, they, they, I mean, generally men aren't really promoted or encouraged to experience and express emotions. So they just are so far removed from any sort of understanding of what's happening. That's like speaking a foreign language when really it is our most innate language. Mm -hmm. So when you're first born, you don't speak a language. You speak energy. You speak emotions. You speak how you feel like. You are reacting to the environment based off of the way you feel and how other people feel around you. Yeah, babies basically just are constant emotion reaction machines, mm -hmm. right? They like something, they like don't like something, they're just laughing, crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you are born with this innate ability to feel and then respond. And then you grow up as a man and they say you feel and then you suppress which is like very detrimental because it dissociates you from being able to be in touch with any sort of emotional experience. And then you lack empathy. You so, so one person's not communicating their needs because they can't figure out what they are. And one person's afraid to communicate their needs because they're afraid to be a bother or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or because they don't want to be seen as weak. Do you have rituals or exercises for couples to come together and just check in with each other emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite one that I do with everyone, I'm like, okay, you have to do this connection exercise. It's sitting on the floor or if you have bad knees or bad back, <laughs> <laughs> like most people, um, sit in two chairs and face each other. So the chairs have to be facing each other. Get close enough so that your knees are touching. I've seen a bunch of TikToks like this. You have, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's like the beginning stages of Tantra. So that's, so that's a, that's an actual thing. That's just not some weird studio setup. So sit in front of somebody in two chairs. With like your knees. what we're doing right now. Okay. It's like pretty intimate because we're both looking at each other's eyes. Mm -hmm. When's the last time that you made eye contact with somebody? I mean, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> Specifically, like how, that's a question I ask my clients. When's the last time you looked in your partner's eyes? They're like, oh, no, she won't look in my eyes. Every time I try, she cries. I'm like, well, yeah, it's because there's a lot of shit behind that. Like, She's not telling you what she's actually experiencing. So it's creating more distance. So sit in front of each other and then what? Sit in front of each other. You're going to touch knees. Mm -hmm. And then you actually physically touch their knees while they touch yours. Mm -hmm. And you can sit in that position and just like make eye contact. Sometimes because it hasn't happened in so long, it will cause you to cry or have an emotional reaction. And that's okay. Sometimes you might laugh. Sometimes it might cause you to want to like jump into your partner's arms and be hugged. Yeah. Energy is going to get released. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a couple that I did this with, I was like, just five minutes because they were in such a bad place. Just five minutes. Go, she, so it's just sitting there looking at each other. Nothing yeah, else. That's what I start with. Look at Look at each other. Very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for five minutes, set a timer and just sit there with each other present mm -hmm. and providing physical touch. You're providing quality time. You're providing attention. Mm -hmm. So your love languages, a lot of love languages could be getting met in that in that space just for five minutes. Um, but I did have a couple that did it and it lasted for an hour and a half. They just started talking. It was everything that needed to come out. They were just like, ah. but they hadn't had a 
time before or that structure to be able to have those vulnerable conversations. So this just opened up a box of tell me how you feel. And then another exercise is I heard this from um, Kim Anami, who is like a sex holistic sex coach. She's mm. great. Um, she talks about the windshield wiper or the windshield um, exercise. So it is having a pane of glass in between you mm. and you ask yourself, are there bugs or any sort of debris on the glass that's keeping me from being connected to you? And so the bugs represent anything that's been left unsaid, any sort of irritation that maybe you haven't spoken up about, anything. It could be anything. And so it makes you have to say, it may hold you accountable and makes you take responsibility for your own experience. And then it allows you to just be super honest with your partner. And then they, you ask them and they respond. Um, so that is a pretty challenging exercise. Is there ever a time where, say there's bugs on the window, but you you think to yourself, are these bugs worth even bringing up? Is it me giving too much energy to the story? How do you have someone reflect on, are these bugs something that I could reflect on and just let go of myself? Or mm -hmm. should I bring them up? Because maybe they're silly or, or how do they determine that? Um, that goes with heart and head practice. So if you're logically thinking about something and you're like, can I let this go? Yeah, probably I could talk myself out of it, not really bothering me. But if you asked your heart, is this keeping me from being connected to my partner? And you say yes, then it's something that needs to be said. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then what's another progression? So we're in the chair. Do you have, because it sounds like it can get deeper and deeper. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the deeper is allowing for exploration of like, go sit in your partner's lap. You've probably seen that exercise on TikTok more than just the sitting in front of each other, but, or maybe not. No. No. So you're sitting and the partner will actually go and physically sit on the other person's lap and you're just hugging from like a really, that's another tantric practice. So you're getting into advanced sexual practices just by integrating this activity into your daily routine, weekly routine, whatever you feel comfortable doing. But it's allowing for that initiation for vulnerability, for increased intimacy, and then oftentimes leads to sex. So it's like foreplay before foreplay. So it's really helping the woman to feel safe to let go and surrender because you're meeting all those emotional needs in that time. That's amazing. What are some other tools you've picked up along the way that you really like that have worked really well just for you in your own relationships and, and people like trainings and things you've done on your own? Mm. <laughs> I've done a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah give me one ah the one that just came to my head was i was gonna say it um the jade egg practice okay you, have you heard of that i have an idea okay yeah so it's like hello <laughs> it's, logan's uh, in the house oh great thanks logan for coming in while i'm like maybe we can say this oh lot. i'm getting red again <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just curious. Weird training. <laughs> so jade egg is like vaginal weightlifting. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like Kegels, but on steroids because you actually insert something in yep. your vagina. And then you do practices where you are strengthening the walls of each side or you're like separating your reflexology points, which I did not know mm. was a thing. Mm. Um, there's reflexology points in your vagina and okay. <laughs> it helps to stimulate different organs so you're actually 
like entering into Chinese medicine territory mm. by allowing reflexology points to be stimulated. But then it helps with sex. So it helps you to be more in touch with that part of your body. A lot of women are not. Yeah, yeah. For various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and also more pleasure and also more pleasure for the man. So that's one of the practices that I think is super interesting because previous to that, I had only ever heard of Kegels, mm-hmm. which is like you're doing the same thing without any sort of biofeedback. Yeah, you're just, and it's all reps, right? There's nothing, yeah, there's no biofeedback, nothing to feel against. Yeah. And then she, the woman that I learned this from, she, her whole shtick is um, she adds, weights to the <laughs> inserted part oh wow okay yes so she has like a string that she attaches to something and she's like actually weightlifting with her badge wow so real strong, <laughs> strong. should i ask this <laughs> do you have a weightlifting set no <laughs> is there a thing for guys to do that um i don't know i don't know I how mean, you would you do probably that. do it in your bottle <laughs> Okay. Any other cool, <laughs> any other cool tools? You probably could. <laughs> any other cool tools you've learned along the way? Mm, um, any that are coming on, uh, any that are coming up in relationship to sex well, or intimacy? Well, on your own personal journey, mm-hmm. has there been a workshop or a training that has really changed you? Yes. This one might make me emotional. <laughs> um, so I, no, <laughs> I was sexually assaulted. <laughs> and hold on. you're totally good. Gotta get out of that leopard body. Yeah. Cheetah, sorry. Cheetah. All right. So I was sexually assaulted and my connection to that area of my... God, hold on. I'll start again so it'll be good for the video. (laughs) Okay. I was sexually assaulted and that part of my... Take as much time as you need. I've processed through this a lot and I'm usually able to talk about it, but I guess not for a podcast. Part of the processing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Showcasing it. Mm -hmm. But also it's very relatable. Mm -hmm. So I was sexually assaulted and Part of that, um, part of my journey was understanding that I had no boundaries set for myself. I did not have a voice to say what I actually needed and wanted and did not want. And that caused a lot of dissociation of my lower half. And so not really understanding that. Um, And then realizing the parts of that situation that were my responsibility. So my ability to 
set boundaries, my ability to communicate, my ability to stand up for myself and feel empowered were really big parts of what I took away from that experience. And then from that, I decided I'm not a victim here. I am the creator of my reality and I want to move forward, not stuck in that situation. I want to do something about it. So I actually started doing Krav Maga and I love it for various reasons because it's helped me to not only feel physically stronger, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually stronger. And now I have the ability to feel more confident in directing what happens to me. I feel safe in my own body and now I can communicate that to partners or anybody really. I have I carry myself so much differently because of that experience. So I'm sharing this for the first time like kind of publicly because I feel like this is something that so many women struggle with is not feeling safe in an elevator, not feeling safe to walk to your car in a parking garage, not feeling safe to be in the proximity of a man because you're not sure what's going to happen, and then not being able to defend yourself. I actually had conversations with myself in an elevator being like, okay, there's a man in here. How would I defend myself? I don't know how I would do that. And that's terrifying. So that is terrifying. mm -hmm, Because I imagine it would be like being in an elevator with a guy who's just way bigger and way more dominant that would be very yeah that would that would make my nervous system go crazy yeah and I imagine most women are experiencing this often Mm -hmm. yeah and so not only does that influence your experience in elevators but it's also ingrained in your mind that men are super powerful and I can't defend myself against them in any situation and then to have that event validated by an assault would just further ingrained this fear of men, I guess, is what the wound that would come up is like, I have to submit to a man because I actually can't defend myself if anything were to happen. Or like, even if I did say something, they wouldn't care. So that I'm happy to share it. Because like I said, the good girl mentality that I have personally carried this whole time in my life that has allowed an assault to happen is it can kind of stop you in your tracks and can make you retract it can make you scared to engage in in life or you can decide that there are parts that it needed to needed to happen to show me that I needed to develop in a deeper way to be able to feel safe in my body to then be able to feel safe with somebody else so it's almost bringing up a wound or something in you that's incomplete to mm-hmm. work on. Yeah. To have the relationship or the life that you want. Yeah. And then assessing how a partner is going to receive that information and what their response will be is also a huge part of being able to feel closer to someone that, okay, they can hear what I just said and they aren't going to try to fix it. They're not going to try to say something. They're just going to be there to hold me or do whatever I need them to do to feel safe with them. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Talk to me about boundaries. Not having boundaries. And I think boundaries is such a big thing that causes a lot of problems and relationships of all kinds. How does one set healthy boundaries? Mm Mm-hmm. I think knowing what it feels like to be out of bounds and what that does for you and then asking yourself, 
okay, I know what it feels like to go over that. I know what's happening in my body. How can I witness what's happening when it starts to get close to that line and then be able to communicate before it goes overboard is kind of what boundaries are. How can you tell physically or emotionally you're out of your boundaries? Mm -hmm. You know, someone's crossing your boundaries or you're allowing, because I think it's more about someone allowing somebody to cross your boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not for you where, you know, you're assaulted, but most times in a relationship, you're allowing somebody to do something and you maybe you're being upset about it when all you have to do is speak up and say something. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the nervous system. <laughs> nervous system awareness that that is what's happening. You notice those symptoms coming up, your heart rate. You notice that you're starting to focus on one thing. You notice that you're like so tense that mm. you can't make any sort of other decision other than to have... It's like uh, tunnel vision. Yeah. And then a lot of times with women, they'll suppress or they'll shut down And those are indications of overwhelm. And like at that point, you can't really do anything because your system is so overwhelmed. So retrospectively, after that experience happens, you can say, wow, that specific thing made me super overwhelmed. I don't want that to happen again. So you place kind of like a marker and then you notice the next time it happens. It's taking a lot of responsibility too Mm -hmm. in your own behavior of I've been here before. I know the outcome of what I've experienced in the past. So before it gets to that point, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to respect myself and feel strong and confident to be able to hold that boundary and not allow it to be crossed. It seems like being able to take however the person responds to it. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I can I can sometimes have a challenge setting boundaries because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be maybe it's like an inner wound, like be yelled at. Mm-hmm. or have them be mad at me mm-hmm. such a challenging practice yeah yeah and i don't I, this is like a hard concept i realized for both parties to have but i always promote people that i'm working with don't be curious about the behavior be curious about the emotional experience that they're having that's causing the behavior so maybe in that instance where you didn't want to be yelled at and you clammed up and you 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 repressed what you wanted to say and you got quiet Mm -hmm. instead of being like he's quiet he's not interested anymore asking like hey is there something you're going through that i don't see Mm -hmm. and then you open up a conversation or you allow that space to say actually i'm feeling this wound come up so it really is this dance that has to occur for the container of a relationship to be a conscious relationship you have to be curious about what they're experiencing and then the the other party has to take responsibility for what's coming up dang this has been really good i have two more questions i think you know what is something you want women to know about men when and when i when i say that is you know be like as if you're an advocate for men mm-hmm. what do you want women to know yeah. Um, men just want to be, whenever I'm working with a little or with a, with a man, I'm like, okay, they're just a little boy that wants to be loved and valued and seen and heard. And they just want to provide <laughs> everything else is just, they're not understanding something. So give them a little space and or give them a little patience to be able to explain to them what they just don't understand so that they can develop a greater understanding of what you're experiencing. But 
you are speaking two different languages if a man has been groomed his whole life not to experience emotions and women are just known to be emotional. So if you have that awareness, you're talking to like a little boy who just never learned this language. I love that. (laughs) And what do you want men to know about women? Mm, That their emotional experience doesn't mean that they're crazy. It doesn't mean that they're overly emotional. It just means that there's a lot happening internally and you don't have to fix it. You could just be there to support them and provide support and guidance as needed, but also you just being physically there and not moving when they are having an emotional experience is super calming. Kat, how do people find you? Um, You can find me on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is cat underscore intimacy therapist. Um, My website is under construction. So if you want to chat with me, you can find me on social. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Remember, please follow the podcast, leave a review. I appreciate it so much. What I want you to think is, what is your animal body? Notice next time when you're with your partner or friends or a loved one, when you get triggered, what animal do you become? Can you notice the signs and feelings as you get triggered? And can you get yourself back into a calm state? Start to explore these things. Become aware of what you're feeling and when you're being triggered and see if you can start to approach these situations and communicating your needs and your emotions in a completely different way. I highly suggest working with a coach to help develop awareness. It's very practical, very important to have someone you can have a conversation with about past experiences to really be able to reflect and analyze them so you can be better prepared for the future. Just like playing a sport and watching footage of the sport where you can see where you may have fumbled the ball here and there because Our relationships create the quality of our life. So it's super important. All right, guys, thank you so much again for being here. And I'll see you on next week's episode.